So the reality of angels and demons. It's interesting to devote a talk entirely to talking about angels and demons. We think of them more as, um, let's say, part of the decoration in a church when we walk in, or just something that's on the sidelines or on the periphery. But what would it mean to consider them as a subject of a, of a whole talk, or really to delve a little bit, to dip our toe into angelology, uh, as we might call it? The question of whether God exists is a very pressing one, and uh, you know, a common enough topic for our Thomistic Institute talks. Uh, in fact, the last topic you had um, here as a talk. But, and the reality of the human soul, also very important and interesting. So someone might say, but why angels? Um, aren't angels something we should rather be sort of ashamed of? Didn't we do away with those? Aren't those a, a relic of an earlier time? Weren't angels just a, a psychological projection of a more primitive people? And haven't we, as human beings, evolved culturally, um, become more enlightened? And shouldn't we leave behind angels and demons as sort of the imaginary friends of our cultural infancy, a relic of a primitive and pre-scientific culture? It's interesting that the word immaterial, when someone uses it as an adjective, oh, well, that's immaterial, means irrelevant. But when we're talking about angels and we say they're immaterial, we're talking about their nature, talking about what they are. Anyway, part of what I'm getting at with this introduction is to, to show that Christians have often been, in the modern period, sort of ashamed of angels, afraid to bring up the topic because it seems a little bit too fanciful. But in fact, something would be lacking in our account of reality if we ignored angels altogether. We can actually say, a great deal scientific about them in the full sense of science, in terms of philosophy and theology. There's also the fact that one needs to reckon with the fact that cultural and, um, how do I put this? The fact that many different cultures throughout history had a, a sense, a very vivid sense of immaterial spirits operating at some level, whether as evil spirits influencing them, whether as uh, beneficial spirits. And so there's something there in the human consciousness that's a kind of intuitive grasp of angels and something that we should at least reckon with the question of. And so this evening, for this presentation, we'll be taking Thomas Aquinas um, as our guide, and not just because this is a talk of the Thomistic Institute, but because St. Thomas's um, account of the angels is one of the most robust that we'll find. And he actually was rather innovative and creative in the way that he brought a synthesis to the church's meditation upon the angels. He gave a comprehensive and robustly philosophical account. And so what I'm going to do tonight basically is four parts. Um, the first part, I'll just talk about the existence of the angels and some arguments for their existence. And then I'll give us three reasons why it's uh, beneficial for us to study, to think about, to contemplate the angels, the why care sort of part of it. What are the things that we gain from even talking about angels? So to begin with their existence, how do we know that angels exist? You might say, well, because the Bible says so. It's not a bad place to start. Certainly we want to lay that out there too. As Christians who believe in the revelation of the scriptures, um, 
The Bible mentions angels all of the time, many different places. The name angel means messenger, and it's often their function in the scriptures to deliver a message. So angel refers not to their nature, but to their function. So the angels in the scriptures deliver messages to the patriarchs. Gabriel in the Gospel of Luke delivers the message of the incarnation to Our Lady. There's also Raphael in the book of Tobit and others. But what if we were to start from a different point? Can philosophy, just human reason alone, tell us anything about the angels? And this is really a a tricky question, one that's been debated a great deal, and we don't necessarily have a settled answer for. But we could approach this, the existence of the angels, from this philosophical angle. And we might think back to the way that Aquinas talks about the existence of God and reasons for arguments, gives reasons for the existence of God, gives a demonstration and a proof. And we might say, well, can we do that with the angels too? For instance, if you talk about Aquinas's third way of proving God's existence, he says essentially that we see that things exist, something exists rather than nothing, but nothing we see absolutely has to exist. And so there has to be some necessary being that exists, something whose existence is absolutely necessary. It becomes a mouthful when you start repeating the same words again, but this is philosophy. A friend of mine has put it this, especially summarized this argument in a different way. He says, well, the third way of Aquinas could be summarized like this. You are, but you could have ain't been. <laughs> and there's got to be something that's got to be, so that's God. So it's a, it's a pithier way to put it. It would make a great t-shirt. <laughs> so anyway, there's these kinds of reasons. I just offer that as an example. When Aquinas is going to give us demonstrations for God's existence, that's the general form that they take. We see things, and we trace them back to God. But for the angels, do we see anything that they do? How do we make a proof like this? You say, well, they exist because I see them doing certain things. Well, we see them in the scriptures, of course, doing things, but the scriptures are at the level of revelation and theology. What would it mean to think about the angels philosophically? I'll say a little bit more later in the talk about what angels and demons can actually do in our world. But let's just offer a little example. Let's say you narrowly escape having a serious car accident because something told you, almost a physical impulse to slow down at an intersection. It could have been an angel. It could have been God. It could have been just a kind of instinct. So there's a problem here that the angels are only ever secondary causes and God alone is the ultimate primary cause. Again, those are technical terms, but we could put it this way. The angels don't do anything that God couldn't do directly. For example, if we get, um, you know, sometimes you get those emails from very important people. You get an email from the university president and you think to yourself, well, did they sit there and type that email out and put my name in and send me the email? Probably not. They probably used a secretary. Maybe they even dictated to the person who then typed the email, who then did all of the um, complicated mess of sending it to thousands of people at the same time. But there's nothing stopping that president or that important person from sending those emails himself, herself. Nothing to stop them from doing that. So in the same way, it's virtually impossible for us to say in a given case 
whether an angel did something or whether it was an action of God directly. So that's all a long way of saying that the kinds of proofs we use for God's existence don't really work for proving the existence of the angels. So St. Thomas puts a lot more stock in a different approach. I have in my notes here, it says, there is another angel St. Thomas takes. I'm thinking that's a typo. <laughs> there is another angle St. Thomas takes. <laughs> the angels are somehow necessary for the perfection of the universe. And this gets us to uh, really understand the metaphysical status of an angel, to consider an angel on the level of its being, of its existence. And this is where we see the unique contribution of Aquinas. Every other creature is composed of matter at some level, but angels are entirely without matter. They're immaterial. So even when we as human beings have a body and a soul, a material and spiritual component, we're a composite. Now, we don't want to tell God what he needs to do to make the universe perfect. But if we look at things from his perspective in creation, we could say that there was a sufficient diversity of things that he needed to create in order to have a full and perfect creation. There's a tendency to associate what's spiritual with God directly. But not everything that is spiritual is God, especially the angels and our own human soul. So, in other words, there are spiritual creatures. We have a spiritual component, our soul, but it's fitting that there be something that's just pure spirit, an immaterial spirit, an intelligence. And so St. Thomas, following this line of reasoning, puts a lot more confidence in that argument for the angel's existence. And I could go more into that, um, but I'd rather to get us to the other points about what does considering the angels do for us? How does that benefit us? So why study the angels? I'll give us three reasons. The first is this, because it's delightful, because it's fun. Isn't that the best of things, the things worth doing for themselves? Contemplating the truth. Aristotle, in a work actually on animals, makes this remark that then Thomas Aquinas turns into, and it's one of my favorite quotes, really, and I think uh, it serves us well, to say that the least knowledge of the highest things brings the greatest joy. Even the least knowledge of the highest things brings the greatest joy. So Thomas Aquinas uses this ultimately to talk about contemplating God. God is the one, according to Aquinas, in whom true joy and fulfillment is found. Heaven is the vision and contemplation of God. That's what's so great about it. But Aquinas also says in one place that nothing stops us from also taking joy in contemplating the angels. We can delight in studying them. And so we should be proud of presenting a full picture of reality that takes into account immaterial spiritual creatures. In a way, it's the comprehensiveness of the account that brings a satisfaction to our mind. But even when we can't completely comprehend something, even when we only have a little knowledge of something or an imperfect knowledge of something, there can still be a thrill about it. Isn't there something thrilling about getting a taste of something vast and beyond us? 
You don't leave the beach disappointed that you couldn't swim across the whole ocean. Sometimes you're happy just to dip your toes into the water. So spending even just a little time thinking about the angels introduces us to a transcendent world of billions of spiritual creatures, each diverse and precious. And when we think about it, this world is actually not separate from our own. Now, many people object and say, really, the only things worth studying are those that we can have a complete and comprehensive knowledge of. But they're wrong. There's joy in the truth, no matter how little of it we taste. And don't people really take great delight in knowing trivial facts? You know, challenge me on my trivia points. And all the more we should take in knowing the angels, even if it's just a little trivial matter that we can know about them, something small. Also, another reason to study the angels is because there's a great kind of spiritual and intellectual rigor involved or required. So to follow Aquinas, maybe you already feel like this, to follow Aquinas through his discussion of the angels is a real mental and spiritual workout. We need metaphysics, the highest branch of philosophy, and we need revelation. We need to purify our concepts, to sort of slice them thinner than we ever thought possible. So to study the angels strengthens the intellectual virtues in us. So that's the first reason. We want to contemplate the angels, and it brings joy. The second reason for studying the angels, the second reason to care about them, because it purifies our notion of ourselves. I think most people's religious and spiritual problems stem not so much from a bad idea of God, but from a poor understanding of the human person. It's not the philosophy of God that's holding them back, but their philosophical anthropology, their understanding of the human person and of themselves. Now, that's a generalization. Some people do have problems with their understanding of God, of course. So this is a generalization, but I think it can be an insightful one. And that's why I propose that considering the angels, just as a philosophical subject, just as a subject of theology too, considering the angels gives us a new vantage point. Because if we understand what we have in common with them, and if we understand how we're different from them, it can really help us situate ourselves within reality and can illuminate our understanding of ourselves as human beings. Aquinas says at the beginning of one of his works that the intellect of an angel surpasses the human intellect much more than the intellect of the greatest philosopher surpasses the intellect of the most uncultivated simple person for the distance between the best philosopher and a simple person is contained within the limits of the human species, which the angelic intellect surpasses. That's kind of a mouthful and there's a lot of concepts going on, but if we could put it this way, if we were to put the simplest person we could find next to the smartest person we could find, the difference between them would pale in comparison between a genius, an Einstein, and even the lowliest of angels. And so we shouldn't overlook the insight of this statement. It's kind of meant to put us in our place, to give us a little dose of humility as we truly approach the subject of angels. So it gives us a sense of wonder. Obviously, we could um, go very deep into this and compare and contrast angels and human beings. What really is an angel? 
well, what do we, how do we think of the human person? But I want to just look at one thing, and that's our knowledge. Look at the difference in what it is for us to think and to know things and what it is for an angel. What would it mean for an angel to know something, to think about something? So our knowledge as human beings is really dependent upon our senses. When we encounter something, when I'm in the park and I see a dog, I see a whole bunch of different features. I might even go up and pet the dog. Hopefully don't smell the dog too much. <laughs> but all of the, my senses are interacting, right? And those, uh, the things I, I take in from my senses are, are kind of integrated. I also form an imaginative concept um, or there's something, my imagination's at work. And then at a certain level, I'm able to think, oh, well, this is a dog. This isn't just a random assortment of fur and noise and sights. This is a dog. I'm able to grasp the nature of that thing. And really that ability to grasp the nature of a thing, to abstract, we call it, um, is what sets us apart from the animals. Animals can't, you know, come to us and say, oh, well, oh, this is a human being, and I've really had bad luck with human beings in the past. I'm not sure if I want to trust him. They can have an immediate reaction and a kind of instinctive reaction to things, but they can't abstract and understand the nature of a thing. As human beings, too, when we take in the nature of something, when we understand, we then reason from one thing to another. And so, really, the word reasoning is related to the word rational. So, understood philosophically, the human person is a rational animal. We reason from one thing to another. We kind of have experiences, we create concepts, um, and then we use those um, to reason from one thing to another. It sounds, sounds basic, because it's what we're doing now, because it's what we do when we learn. It's who we are. Angels, on the other hand, don't know or think in any way like this. For the angels, according to Aquinas' account, God gives them ideas from their very creation. They have innate ideas just given to them. It's a kind of original inheritance of knowledge that they were given. And each angel is given, in a way, a particular set of ideas and forms the limits of its knowledge. And those ideas are participation in the divine ideas that are in God. And so when an angel thinks or knows, it's not by reasoning from one thing to another. It's not by looking at the world and interacting with it. It's through an immediate awareness of the ideas given to it. And so the angels don't need time to process. They don't need time to study, to reason from one thing to another. Isn't that wonderful? Wouldn't it be great to be an angel? <laughs> you may feel that in finals week. Would that I could just look at the textbook and get it all or just have the textbook in my mind from the very beginning. This gives us a sense, I think, um, perhaps also a dose of humility, that the angelic knowledge is so different from our own. It's not just that they're really smart souls floating out there, minds with wings. No, the angels are, are very different from us. And yet, even at that, even with this account, Thomas Aquinas also says there's a, there's a way in which we're similar. Just on the philosophical level, there's a way in which we're similar. And that is, we're able, as human beings, to grasp some things intuitively. We're able to understand first principles. This may not sound that exciting. Um, but we're able, it may, it may sound like 
completely obvious, but there's a great beauty to it. We're able to grasp principles such as, you know, a thing cannot be and not be at the same time and in the same respect. You might say, well, that's, okay, that's a mouthful, but that doesn't really, I'm not really proud of the human race because I know that. In other words, we have these kind of original first principles, we call them, that we're able to sort of see just from the very dawn of our consciousness as human beings. You know, the baby interacting with the world is able to know all of these things in a kind of immediate grasp. You know, being fed and not being fed are not the same thing. <laughs> and we react. So we have these first principles, and that's really about as angelic as our knowledge gets, at least on the natural level. Obviously, we're given grace as well. Um, we'll maintain, Thomas Aquinas will maintain as a Christian, we're given the grace of faith as well to know things that are beyond our nature. But this is an interesting point to begin um, because it shows us there is some commonality. Even though you, you know, think that the human genius is far out surpassed by even the lowliest of angels, there is some common thread between us. And so you know, St. Thomas really says, okay, what's it like for an angel to know? Well, the closest we get to really being able to understand that is when we just intuitively grasp some of those first principles that we use to know. We also share a great deal in common with the angels spiritually. Um, so, like I said, the human soul is immaterial. It's a spiritual soul. We, as human beings, are composed of body and soul. Our body isn't just something we, we get rid of or something accidental that we drive around in, our flesh car. The body is part of... <laughs> Some people think that way. Um, like the body isn't important. But no, as human beings, we're composed of body and soul. But the soul is spiritual. And we have this kind of common point with the angels. We also have an intellect and will, which are the, the faculties of the soul. We can know things. We can choose things freely. And we also have a common spiritual destiny with the angels, destined for the vision of God, destined for friendship and happiness with God. So I think just looking at the angels gives us a, a kind of different case to study. So we can say, okay, what is it for me to be as a human being if I understand by reflection upon the nature of the angels? A third reason to care. Well, it's important to think about the angels and the demons to be aware of their influence. What can angels and demons do? It's an important question to ask. It's a general principle for Aquinas that God is so good, he not only delights in sharing his goodness, um, giving creatures goodness, but he also delights in giving things the ability to share with others, to share goodness with others. So God imparts, he says, the dignity of being a cause, the dignity of causality to creatures. It's all, if you think about it from the perspective of God, a way in which uh, he's able to share and to manifest his glory. This is the kind of principle that Aquinas begins with. And this principle applies in many different spheres. But it also, it also applies to the angels. The angels exist principally for the glory and praise of God, but certain angels have a mediating role in regard to human beings. So what exactly can angels, as well as demons, do? Does their power have any limitations? 
We might think, well, they can do anything God can do. They're above us. They can just do anything. Well, not exactly. This is where we need to distinguish. For Aquinas, there's actually real limits to the power of the angels. Angels can cause certain effects in the visible world, but those effects are always somehow bound by the ordinary limitation of our world. They can't create anything out of nothing. That belongs to God. Because only God is infinitely powerful and can bring something from non-being into being. But angels can move things. They can't act on the intimate core of our person, upon our mind and heart, upon our intellect and will. They can't choose for us. And they can't just sort of zap ideas into our minds. But, according to Aquinas, they can suggest things to our imagination. So angels can enlighten us by suggesting good things to us. And, well, demons can suggest bad things to our imagination. Also, the miracles that an angel might work are different than, let's say, the power that God has in working miracles. So, for instance, um, an angel couldn't completely restore a limb out of nowhere. That would, be, that would be beyond its power. But he could speed up the process of healing, the natural process of healing. Also, the angels don't have a perfect knowledge of the future, but they are very good guessers. <laughs> you think about their intelligence. They say, Aquinas says it, they only have a conjectural knowledge of the future, but being far more intelligent than we are, um, well, they're much better than our best of predictors, um, than the models we could run. Um, and so, for instance, too, in the accounts of demonic possessions where a demon foretells something of the future, it's not as though he's seeing the future. Only God sees the future in the strict sense. Um, so, Exactly when an angel acts in a given situation is, of course, very difficult to surmise. This is, of course, you know, I can feel the flood of questions ready to be um, deluged out towards me. It's very difficult for us to say anything conclusive in a particular situation. But at the same time, we want to be generally aware of the activity of angels and demons, at least the possibility of their activity. And the devotional life of the church actually concretizes this um, by having the angel of God prayer, angel of God, my guardian dear, to pray to one's guardian angel, or the St. Michael prayer, which prays to be protected from evil spirits through the intercession of St. Michael, the archangel. So that's not saying anything in particular about a given situation, but there's a kind of culture that's um, inculcated through that devotional life. Now, Okay, this may all begin to sound very strange to you. You may be getting uncomfortable or fearful at the thought about demons. And it is possible to go overboard in this regard. Some Christians talk as though they have certain knowledge of the devil in every difficult situation or evil action. They say, with, without a doubt, that was the devil. And you say, well, I'm not saying it wasn't, but you may, you, you may just slow down in your assignation of a particular occurrence to the devil. The devil and his minions are not the primary cause of all evil in the way that God is the primary cause of all good. And so while Christians hold that Satan tempted the first humans, 
It doesn't mean that every subsequent sin occurs at his prompting. And even when there is temptation, temptation is very different from sin. It's distinct from the free human decision. Many of our sins as human beings are simply because of the weakness of our fallen nature, or at least that's the occasion that gives rise to them, or our tendency to be overwhelmed by the goods of this world. Now, at the same time, so that, that could be, it's possible to become sort of demon-obsessed, you know, to be constantly seeing the devil in all of the woodwork. But it's also dangerous to go to the other extreme and say the devil and demons don't exist at all or never act at all in our world. And many people, in their disbelief, open themselves up to being influenced and in the most extreme cases, possessed through superstitious practices like palm readings and tarot cards and Ouija boards. They say, oh, this is harmless. It's just a game. That's not all real. But in fact, by playing with those things of the occult, they open themselves up. Now, rooted in the scriptures and the tradition of the church, there's an awareness that an angel is assigned to every human being as a protector and guide. This is what I was talking about with the guardian angels. If you think about it, it's very consoling. You might say, what can my guardian angel do for me? Other than, you know, okay, I pray to him occasionally, but concretely, how might he act in my life? And using the principles from Aquinas, it's reasonable to think our guardian angels are involved in many different ways in our lives. They can ward off the dangers of body and soul, or they can enlighten us and spur us on to good things. Again, not by beaming ideas into our minds, but by suggesting images to us. They also can counteract the influence of the evil spirits, of demons, and intercede and strengthen our prayers. So you might find it rather disappointing that our knowledge of the angels is so limited. But remember that even the least knowledge of the highest things brings the greatest joy. And you may in particular be disappointed that it's almost impossible for you to say if and when an angel or demon was at play. But this is where the Christian tradition, in particular through faith, opens one to an immensely influential domain of reality. And so I just want to end with these two thoughts, just two other things we could pick out of Aquinas' account of the angels to sort of spark our wonder. And one goes back to the point about causality, that God uses intermediaries, that God delights in using intermediaries. A follow-up to that is that the greater something's dignity, the greater its influence and its causality. And so while we can't say in a given instance, well, was an angel at work here, we can have a general confidence that, well, they're constantly at work and their influence is much greater than the people we regard as the big people of this world. The cloud of a guardian angel is greater than a president. Imagine the guardian angel of the president. <laughs> it's important that important people be protected by the angels. One last thought. St. Thomas asks, how many angels are there? Well, it's fitting that God make more of them than even visible bodies. Because if something's better, well, 
following this principle, it says there might as well be more of them. It's more fitting there be more of them. So here's where we get to do a little angelic math. Okay, well, there's a lot of people in the world. And if each person in human history has been assigned a guardian angel, and that's just talking about the guardian angels, not about the other ranks of angels, and I could talk a little bit more about the hierarchies of angels, but if you just do the math, presently, influencing our world even now, there are billions of guardian angels. So I'd like to hope that considering the angels, just this little taste, like I said, dipping our toe into this subject is a way to uh, sort of foster delight and to also push our minds to think about immaterial realities, to push them to think about, well, the way in which God has set up the world in a beautiful and magisterial way that manifests his goodness. So thank you.